I think a big thing that's helped me lately is just share your work, even if it's ugly, even if it's bad. And also like almost leaning into that aesthetic because I think I kind of like things that feel raw and unfinished and unfiltered. Welcome to Let It Out. I'm Katie. This is my podcast. This week, I have a conversation with my close friend. Her name is Carolina, and she is incredible. She's someone who I met in New York, and unfortunately, we live on opposite coasts, so we recorded this over Zoom a couple weeks ago, but she's someone I talk to really frequently almost every day, and we spoke about that and our relationship a little bit within this, but she is an incredible filmmaker and producer. She's an artist who knows how to be on what she calls both sides of the call sheet, right? So she's a producer, and she knows how to organize and track budgets and do all of the things that artists typically hate doing, right? She has a background in all of that as a producer for really major brands that you've heard of and probably know all about and use. But what's really cool about this conversation is that she's in a career transition and pivot. And this time capsule, which is what these conversations always end up being, covers that. feels like I have a co-host in this because... I speak a lot. You'll get to know Caro's background from studying acting in a conservatory at NYU to going to grad school and working in galleries and becoming a producer and pivoting and transitioning where she is now. So, and it's a light, fun, friendly conversation. And I'm really grateful that you're here. You might recognize Carolina's name because I've spoken about her before because she made the video about Creative Underdogs, which I renamed to In Process. And maybe you even heard her speak and that she was one of my guest artists the first year that I did it. Creative Underdogs became a group called In Process. It's a place for alone time with others. It's a place for us to feel supported and connect, which is a lot of what Caroline and I bonded over and how we really became close friends. So she was the perfect person to be one of the first guests in 2020. So that conversation is in the archive. If you've been a member or are a member, it's there and you can go back and listen to it. If you want to know more or join, I'm going to do it again this fall. I'm really eager to start it up again. I need it. So information about that will be in the show notes. If you have any questions about that or anything at all, my email is katie at let it out with three T's. Send me an email. I would love to hear from you. I'm so grateful that you're here and I'm excited to share my close friend with you. So here's our conversation. so creative and you come from science you know with your parents and your your mom is a doctor and I'm curious what you were like when you were way younger yeah I was definitely a weird kid (laughs) and pretty creative because I was like you were an only child but I was like very 
in my own convictions and very much just creating other worlds for myself because there was like no one for me to play with. And I really liked watching movies, but I would always act the movies as they were happening kind of I really like that I really like like old movies like My Fair Lady which I don't know if I really understood what it was about when I was little and I also was extremely talkative at times but it's just very very introverted I used to get a fever every Friday after the school week but you know I wasn't sick I was just like so tired from like expending all my energy around everyone else and maybe that is because I'm an only child and I was just so used to like only being around myself really you know yeah I do actually well earlier today you sent me a voice text that I transcribed and you said you were told that you were weird your whole life but instead of letting that guide yes me creatively I didn't because I never felt fully accepted in the typical artist community, you know, like in high school from your transcription from earlier. So can you unpack that a little bit? Like bring us up to high school and then eventually you're studying acting at NYU. So what was high school like? Like, were you acting then? How did you know you want to go to NYU? Where are you during this time too? Like, I think that's probably important and interesting Yeah, so I grew up moving a ton. Um, I was born in South America, but I spent a good part of my formative childhood in Europe and then a few years in middle school in New Jersey. And then I actually went to high school in Miami to a fairly intense prep school. It's funny because I feel like what I meant by that statement is that I grew up being labeled as like weird and and odd, but I didn't fit in either with like too many of like those other groups that are labeled weird and odd. So I did start a lot of acting in high school. I was like in plays and acting, but it felt like I was also not fully accepted there, which is really interesting because I feel like that's like usually typical teen movies or things like that is like you'd describe the actors and the people doing the theater and all of that as like the outcast, but we're all friends here. And I didn't really see that when I was in high school, but it also may have a lot to do with the fact that it was a privileged private school. There's just something even more clicky in those settings. I didn't have like a group. My best, best friend had like her own group and those girls were nice to me, but I wasn't like in that group. And then I had a few other friends from like different groups and I I had people I lunch with, but I wasn't like in a group. I've just never been like a huge group person though. In my heart, I really want to be. (laughs) It's just easier for me to connect one-on-one for some reason. But yeah, so I was acting there. The people doing the actual art, like studio art, were pursuing it in a classical way. So I never felt fully accepted in that realm either. I think it's just kind of high school in general that was weird for me, but I feel like that obviously ends up shaping a lot of your concept as you go out into the world and try to build your career and your living and who you present to the world. I think high school is weird for everybody. You know, we've talked about the friend group thing at nauseam with each other, but my friend Crystal yeah. has a great point around 
friend groups, which is she said to me recently, she was like, I don't do friend groups. And here's why people just have a tendency to talk about other people when you have a friend group because you have common people, not even necessarily in a gossip way, but it just is a tendency. One on one, you're able to really connect, which is essentially what we all want. Like, what we all want is connection and. And that's because connection is focus. Connection is presence. You're focusing on one thing at a time. And my experience of high school was vastly different. It sounds like a very different school in a very different place. What I relate to is exactly what you said about the groups. You know, I wasn't in any group, but I bounced around pretty easily through all of the groups. Like I was kind of everything and nothing. And I can feel like that now, which to your point, it's like sometimes similar to creative projects, feeling like a dabbler can at best be a multi-potentialite or someone who gets along with everybody. But at worst, it can be feeling like a master of none or feeling Mm -hmm. like what they say in marketing, right? Where it's like, you can't be everything to everybody. You're Mm -hmm. you're no one, right? So it's like leaning in, having a niche is good. And also that's not my tendency or our tendency. It's like finding that, that balance. So then take us up to NYU. Is there something that you took with you from that experience that you think of now? So for me, it was more about the city. I was like really set on being in New York and studying acting. But I had this crazy thing of like, if I'm not successful by the time I'm 22, like then I'm not going to make it, which is obviously, as we know, it's a much longer road. I feel like it really forced me to grow up and become a lot more independent. Honestly, a better person as well because it's not like a typical campus so you're not as like sheltered from a lot of things as you might be on a random college campus so I feel like that's a big thing that I took away I think I'd be a completely different person and I feel like it really did make me grow up which I know college doesn't always do for people so I love that about it obviously the people I think it was a lot easier to navigate friendships there than in high school. I think it taught me a lot just about myself more than anything. Mm -hmm. Well, after you graduated, is that when you started doing essentially what you've been doing up till now? Because I know when we talk about your career and how it ended up going, yeah, you want to make some pivots now and you are making some pivots. But before that, you know, your work as a producer, I think it should be said that it's been great and you've done so many cool, inspiring projects. And I'm excited for what you're going to do now. And I think this relates to a term we've been bringing up pretty often about this and how your career went from after school up until now and then and then your subsequent pivot that we were that I mentioned at the beginning and the term is shadow artist which comes from yeah i believe julia cameron's book the artist way I think so yeah and i know that you identify with it and i want to hear about that but first for for everyone i'm i'm just going to read this little bit about a shadow artist and define yeah. it so we're all on the same page Shadow artist is a term 
to describe creatives who deny themselves of their own creativity. Simply put, they are non-practicing artists. Writer Carl Jung uses the term shadow to describe aspects of ourselves that we are not fully embracing or acknowledging fully. And in the situation of shadow artists, the creative aspect of the individual, a very positive aspect, remains buried, unexpressed, and unacknowledged because its development has not been supported in the past, whether due to lack of time, energy, resources, support, etc. I liked this definition that I found on the internet, which I will link to because it, it also has sort of a checklist for people to see if they are feeling familiar with that and if they might also be identifying as a shadow artist. So let's do you first. You know, Does this feel familiar to you? How do you identify with this term? It's like a lot of little things rubbing up against my artistry, let's say, that then have like culminated in me being this shadow artist until I feel like a few years ago, I was like, wait, So I think for like a year, I was like auditioning, doing things like that. And then I actually started out in public relations for classical music, musicians and classical music festivals, and then into public relations for luxury brands. And then from there, like turned into a producer and did all of that. And I did intern in a lot of galleries. But again, that's like on the other side, because that's you helping the artist as opposed to being an artist. And I also feel like it was like, besides being a shadow, it's kind of like, okay, I'm going to prove that I'm the responsible one while still connecting to art artists and creative people. And that's like essentially what a producer is. I feel like Julia Cameron herself would be like, here's a great example of the term (laughs) and use you (laughs) as a case study. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you identify with that turns out. So then when you figure it out that that's what you're doing, why are we talking about this? Like, how have you decided to shift? Like, why is this important to you as a mechanism to, to change? Cause that makes so much sense. And I don't necessarily relate to that. Like, I don't, I don't know. Do you think I've like, I don't think I've, I have a lot of problems, as you very, very well know. But I don't know if I've done this, at least to the to the no. T of this definition. No, I, I think you've you've pursued your creativity very well and been worked so hard at it in such a good way that you're you're able to do this like as a part of you and like really embody that life lifestyle, even if it gets like hard at times. Yeah, I don't think that you are really the definition of this. I mean, I don't know. Maybe maybe me being a interviewer of people I admire is right. this, you know? Like maybe right. it's like I could see parts, sure. I could definitely see parts of it, but you know, also like writing and all the other things you do definitely. Like I could see what you mean because you also help creatives, but I also feel like this is going to sound weird, but I also feel like you help people in a creative way. Does that make sense? You're not like being like, and you should budget this. Right, right, right. It's very intuitive. And yeah, 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 yeah. 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 And I love creative consulting with people. It's like actually one of my favorite things that I do. I remember having this thought when I, I had to go to all these 
summer camps as like childcare, basically. And I remember this woman came in and she was a, I was maybe like eight and we had all these different careers come. It was actually pretty cool as a concept that they did this at at this like daycare center, but they had like a chef come in one week. That's really cool. Actually. The one I really remember, I remember the chef because we got to like decorate a cake and that I was obviously into that. What I also was into was this woman named Sherry Jones, who was a goddamn idol of mine. She was the local news reporter and she was suddenly in front of me and real and it's pre that's a big internet. deal yeah yeah and she did her spiel to us she was talking about how her getting to do all these different activities as a local celebrity like she got to talk to a writer and then she got to like do something else and she was like this job's pretty dope because i get to kind of dabble in checking out all these other things right. and i remember yeah. being like oh sick like I'll do that then I'll do hers because yeah. I don't have to choose and that was yeah. that kind of stuck in my brain and then cut to high school for me where I was a real like you know I'm doing the announcements I'm editing the paper I'm you know bouncing everywhere I'm student congress but my number one identity was probably theater kid I wanted more than anything in the world to move to New York City and to be an actor. But I couldn't even say that out loud. Like I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even conceive of that because I knew as a kid, as a middle schooler, as a high schooler. And my first, definitely in middle school, I still like allowed myself to say, maybe not out loud to others, but definitely to myself. I I said like when, what I wanted to be when I grew up was an actress for sure. But every day I would come home from school, I would make the strangest snack I would microwave a hamburger bun with some Jiffy peanut butter oh. and fruit. Like, <laughs> so gross. Oh. I would sit on the floor, oh. kill that. And then I would proceed to dance by myself and fully perform Wait. the entirety of the musical Rent. I feel like I literally did very similar things, except not to Rent. And my s- microwave snack was chips and cheese. Classic. Yeah. Classic. Yeah. And I would yeah. dance to we had moved to the United States and but mine was Beach Boys and that's what I sang and danced to. Wow. Yours is cool and hip now. No. I did get a, a leading role in the eighth grade production of a show called Westward Woe. <laughs> I wore a very oh. cool dress that I would kill to have now. It was like a real prairie yeah. situation that Doan probably is ripping off. Um yeah. Then I auditioned in the public high school for the freshman year production, which was Little Shop of Horrors. And I'm not sure if it was, you know, the the production. I was a freshman. And I'm not sure if anyone here knows Little Shop, but there's basically two characters in a trio of like women singing. There's no chorus. You know what I mean? But the next year was Fiddler on the Roof and not to brag, but I did make the chorus. No one was cut, Uh, but I was a villager. And then the next year we did How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying. And you're talking to the scrub woman. Uh, I I had one line in that. So I kept you know kind of doing it and I loved it. Like I loved it so much. But then by the time I got to college, I was like, oh, these people know what they're doing and I don't. So I was just like, I'm done forever. And who knows, maybe I'll do community theater at some point or it will 
present itself where I'm able to, you know, actually I'll say this when I was in Michigan, I was taking acting classes actually just for fun. And that was, that was really cool when I lived in Detroit and then I took then. So I was trying to use this muscle. And then by the time I got to New York, I was doing a lot more hosting and like emceeing and even taking classes for that. And I think that's quite a good use of me, but I think it all sort of went back to Sherry Jones. And, and when I was in college, I let go of the idea of acting, but studying journalism and specifically broadcast journalism allowed me to be like, all right, well, this allows me to be in front of the camera in a way that I can probably find a job and I can still get to hold a microphone and and be extroverted, but in a more controlled way way and one that I don't have to have the talent for I could maybe develop the skill and turns out I didn't really do that either I identify with it in in my yeah. own way and maybe yeah. anyone listening has their own it might not be so on the surface because it just took me some psychoanalyzing on this program to to figure out <laughs> I mean maybe the problem's just capitalism but I feel like I wish people could really just pursue what they want to do you know because i think obviously not all of us have like a beautiful natural singing voice but i've seen a lot of people that that hasn't held them back you know and props to them and we don't know their story either but i feel like yeah it's just just a bummer that that shadow experience exists for so many of us yeah but it's also just this like dream quashing too of like you know they they said that in this definition right where it's like right this happens because some creative aspect of an individual has been buried perhaps because of lack of development or support or in the past a experience of someone being like you're not good at this so wild how quickly we're such products of our environment and how the littlest thing can change the course of our lives and and go the other way too you know like in in high school i had a english teacher who told me that something i wrote was okay and i think that that is literally why i still try to write. It's so true because I feel like I had a similar experience where like I got into this good program like for acting in school, but not only were my high school acting theater folks not so supportive of me or inclusive, but then also I had pretty tough love teachers once I got to college. So I feel like that definitely changed a lot with how I pursued acting after that, for sure. We're malleable to that point. Yeah. And also, we have to exist within a structure of capitalism. So all artists have to do right other things for money. I always like go back to the John Cusack example where yeah. I read an interview with him about the movie Serendipity, which I weirdly happen to love. And mm-hmm. the interviewer said to him, so you do movies that make money and are the big box office movies. And then you do movies that are indie and don't make any money. Do you do the one to fund the other? And he's like, yes, I do. And then the interview says, was serendipity one of one of the former? And he's like, yes, it was. And, and I think it's a kind of a funny <laughs> thing to ask and talk about in an interview, but it's so true. And I know you and I have a million things like that. So that's great. And we're all really grateful for it because there are a lot worse ways to make money. And there are some that I do that I really don't like. And I get frustrated by them sometimes when they take me away from... They use resources from 
resources I that are not infinite that I would like to apply elsewhere, but we have to exist in a world that that is part of this too. And I think that the two really relate. So how do you identify with that and wrestle with that? For me, it's been a little hard because I think of myself, like I feel like my energy level very much harping back to like getting a fever every Friday as a kid is that I'm very much a fire in the sense of like, I will put all of my energy into whatever is in front of me, like just go, go, go. But then it's gone. I always really admire people who have these corporate or consuming positions and then are like launching their dream side business because that's always been a very tricky balance for me because I do get so burnt out keeping everyone in order and doing all the not so fun work for people. And then being like, okay, well, my day's over. Now I get to focus on like the things I really want to do and making motion, creative works, and, you know, maybe like directing things and stuff like that, that is more on the creative side. I think it's definitely tricky. I think that's why in like my attempts, which kind of started before the pandemic and then got side rail, but it was like about doing this thing I know how to do, which is taking care of people and creatives to have a source of income and while still having the energy as well as like building those relationships with smaller companies where it will lead to me having more creative input. You know, when I worked a job for six years, a full-time job for six years, I was doing everything I'm doing now on the side of that. Yeah, which is more actually. And using the limited resources that you have on things that make you money is inevitable and is important. And we're going to have to do it. And I do it. But also trying as much as you can. And again, there's a big luxury to this. And some people have the luxury of having their projects funded by coming into some money in a really sad way if someone died or like maybe they have family money or a partner or whatever. Like That's one way. But if you can choose, there's a big luxury of this, a job that doesn't burn you of all of your resources and is maybe in a completely different sphere that you can make the money and then go home and leave it at the job. That's what I was able to do with my full-time job. And I see now how fortunate that that made me because I didn't give 100% to that. I gave 80 and I had an extra 20 that I was able to apply to all of these other things. And that's not the luxury. And we've talked about this before. I was good at doing that. And some people, and I think you're one of them, go 100% into everything they do. Yeah. It's like all the all the expressiveness and enthusiasm, which really does take a toll on me is just like right centered on like, you know, whatever is going on that day. It's situational, but it's also, I think, personality wise, but also I think there's obviously ways to to fix that. Like, I think I've definitely worked on like trying to do more um, of like my creative thing even when i'm doing non even when i have an intense non-creative job yeah um because i think you can work on it and get a little better with how you spend your energy but it doesn't come naturally to me i'm definitely just like a fire that then eventually it's like 
just I'm done. (laughs) Well, which is great. And I think the ultimate, I mean, a good example of this is I work at a shop one day a week in the neighborhood and I'm such an extrovert, as you know, that even though that's a significant amount of time during that day, I feel so lit up by it and it it doesn't take away any of my creative energy. It's other than it's a place that I am at a certain time, but I know it. I schedule for it. It's, it is what it is. And I, I think that is much more conducive for me than copywriting for a brand where I'm like having to use my brain power yeah. in this way that is really challenging for me. And then I have none left to work on the thing we're working on together, my next zine or whatever it is. And I then become a bit resentful for that. So if you can find something outside of what you do to make money, but that, you know, that's the thing, like working one day a week is like not enough to live on for me. Right. So that's not really that, but finding something like that is what I'm trying to do. So if if anyone hears of anything, please advise (laughs) for both of us, actually. (laughs) One last thing about shadow career that I wanted to to touch on is something that we were talking about related to this. And you tell me if it's if it's not, but I think we've both had people in our lives where we're around them and we, for one context, but we really realize it's like, oh, instead of wanting to be close to you or be your friend or date you or whatever, I really just want to be you. Like I, you have something within me unawakened. This week's episode is brought to you by First Person. So maybe you are nostalgic for the past or you want to relive a really positive moment or you want to wake up and feel clear-minded, perhaps more energized like you were maybe when you were younger. And thanks to First Person, you can take a more active role in your brain's overall health. So the founders witnessed the deteriorating, heartbreaking effects of Alzheimer's on their father and grandfather's cognitive health. And so these brothers, Chris and Joe, took brain health into their own hands, did a ton of research, and they created First Person, an innovative, precision-targeted cognitive supplement system, which uses brain-boosting medicinal benefits of mushrooms to activate the full potential of human cognition and brain health. So I love First Person so much. They're made with functional mushrooms that stimulate the body's production of specific neurotransmitters that trigger activities like energy, mood, and sleep. And the packaging is beautiful. I've been using them for several months now and they have three different ones, right? So there's one called Golden Hour, which is for joy and connection. And you can take it before you go to hang out with friends. It helps with confidence and mood and socializing. And there was one for sleep called Moonlight, which I also love. And my favorite by far is called Sunbeam. That one is for motivation and focus. It helps with productivity and learning and long-term mental stamina. I take it before I record a podcast. Start improving your brain health and cognition with First Person. Get 15% off your first order by going to getfirstperson.com and use code LETITOUT. That's G-E-T-F-I-R-S-T-P-E-R-S-O-N.com. Code LETITOUT for 15% off your first order. 
getfirstperson.com, code let it out. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. These products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This week's episode is sponsored by Aura Organics. I love Aura so much. They make this probiotic supplement, Trust Your Gut. It really appealed to me because I love when my digestion is running smoothly. I love when things are just flowing and moving, right? I've taken probiotics for over a decade now, and these ones are my favorite, truly. I've taken so many of them, and I really love the quality of Trust Your Gut. It seems like it works better than all these other products that I've tried. And what's cool about them is that you can get them in several different ways. You can get this powder or you can get the pills. I actually asked for the pills because I was like, "Ah, I don't know about the powder. I don't think I'll use it. And I ended up loving the powder. So Aura's Trust Your Gut probiotic and prebiotic supplement contains some of the world's most powerful probiotic strains along with prebiotics to help the good bacteria thrive in your gut and actually work so your probiotics work smarter, not harder. So they're great for supporting bloating and and common digestive issues. And what's great about this is that they have significantly more prebiotics compared to other leading probiotic supplements. And prebiotics are this special type of fiber that helps support the health and growth of beneficial bacteria in your gut. And a high prebiotic content is actually crucial to the efficacy of your probiotic. So it's available in this powder form that tastes so good. I wasn't sure about it, but honestly, I eat it like by the spoon, like just the powder, which I know is maybe strange. I have this really lovely strawberry apple. It's so good. And I put it on yogurt. I've been putting it on top of oatmeal. You can put it in smoothies if you're into that. I really, really love it. Free of all of the common allergens like gluten and dairy. It's really great. And Aura has so many products and they're all really great quality, plant-based. So take a look. Everything's cruelty-free. You have nothing to lose because Aura's products are so wonderful and they know that. So you can try Aura's products. And if you're not happy for any reason, within 60 days, get a full refund, no questions asked. Get 30% off your first subscription when you text OUT, O-U-T, to 64,000, text out OUT to 64,000 and get 30% off your first subscription. That's OUT to 64,000. Message and data rates may apply. Terms apply. Available at Aura Organic slash terms. Thank you, Aura. Again, that's OUT, like the end of my last name, the last word of the show, 64,000. I truly love them so much and I hope you give them a try. And that sort of uncomfortable feeling yeah. almost feels related to shadow artistness. Do you see that? Yeah, I actually feel like I've made a lot of progress because I feel like I definitely have encountered that. But that was a lot from a, lo- a few more of my younger years, which was probably a sign that early on I should have like shifted into doing more film work and stuff like that. Because I feel like I just dated people who were doing that, but it wasn't, it was more about like 
exactly what you just said of being like, I really want to be a director or all these like creative roles that tend to be more dominated by males. I think this is related to the other thing I wanted to bring up, which is this fear of being seen and being vulnerable. And you were talking about how some people are able to be seen and post a lot or make a lot of things and put them out. And yet they're still mysterious, which is sort of really intriguing. And I know you really like that and think that's cool. And it is really magnetic, I think. Yeah. I mean, I don't have social media is weird for me. I feel like I only been like a public profile. Like, I don't even know, not a long time. And it's still weird when like random people follow me or I posted this creative video I did. And I think it ended up on some weird discover page because all these people were liking it but I feel like I wanted to get seen by like a certain audience and I don't think they were spam bots because I would go to their profiles to be successful in art unfortunately or like actually in most creative fields at this point you do need some sort of presence on there but it's always been very awkward for me and I, I think it obviously has a lot to do with my fear of being seen and I think that's because I'm very critical of myself more than anyone. And I'm like a silent type A. It's just not very obvious. It comes through in some aspects of my life. So that's been really weird. I think a big thing that's helped me lately is just share your work, even if it's ugly, even if it's bad. And also like almost leaning into that aesthetic, because I think I kind of like things that feel raw and unfinished and unfiltered. I just also think sharing stuff I make actually feels personal at this point in time to be sharing like any weird stuff I make because I have never felt safe sharing it. I think that leaning into an aesthetic that bad art can still be art and can be shared and is like something that even brands use nowadays sometimes, you know, like for their campaigns to make it more candid or like authentic so it's just about owning that and also knowing that this is my way to share and I'm not going to be telling everyone everything about my life but that it's okay for me to share something that feels intimate to me and that that it's okay to be seen because like not everyone's gonna like it no matter what this is a piece that, again, we really diverge on, which makes for an interesting conversation. And I I know a lot of people who I do talk to around this feel similar to you. And I, for some reason, and usually when there's something that's the same between us, we chalk it up to our only childisms, which is maybe not even true. But with this one, I don't know what it is. But for some reason, I have been very much done is better than perfect. And I am not a perfectionist. I am the least type A person that there is. I am extremely like neurodivergent and a tornado of a person. And I have put things out consistently since I was in college. You know, I had a blog. I soon had a podcast and an Instagram and about 700 tumblers. (laughs) And basically, I've just put things out with a fuck it. We'll see what happens with this. And I never put any pressure on it because 
no one was looking at it. And yeah, now there are some people looking at it or listening to it. And that's changed recently. I think recently yeah. in the past just very, very few years, I've become more aware of the people around me who I'm meeting in real life are also going to know about my work, maybe even interact with my work. They might even listen. And that really shifted something in me because I think for a long time at the beginning of my career, I guess we'll call it, or side things that I did, they felt so niche because I came up in wellness culture, right? Like I came up in early wellness culture where I was getting these really long messages from usually younger girls than me asking me questions about chia seeds and green juice and recipes and whatever, whatever. And so I would like write them these long emails back. And then I was like, I'm going to make a blog of this. It was peak internet, peak 2012. And so I did that. And then that kind of evolved and and became, you know, more lifestyle and more, which is so cringe, but became more, I would talk about other things than just wellness as my interests changed and grew. But the bummer thing is I, you know, I definitely had an eating disorder then and I definitely had orthorexia. And and the the problem with that is that, and we've talked about this many times on the show, but when your career is in a malleable place at the time that you also have a eating disorder, many of us, myself included, the entire trajectory of our careers will shift. You know, this happened in the Minnesota starvation experiment, which is this experiment that they could never do now, but to people who weren't fighting in World War II, they studied them. They put them on a diet where they lowered their calories. I'm not going to say what it is, but it's something that like a lot of people on diets eat eat less than now. You know, it's like it's not even that low. And their weights lowered and they they studied them. And all of these men, because they were college students, ended up becoming chefs trainers, nutritionists, right? Like they ended up going into these careers related to food or body in some way. And I think that's fascinating. And that's happened to so many of my friends and and, and it happened to me in a way. So here I am in, in wellness. That was really sad because... Yeah. Part of it, I think, was shadow artisty, like we were talking about, of me not feeling good enough to pursue acting or pursue the creative performance based medium that I wanted to. And I think the other half of it is that I was so enmeshed with yeah. dieting, essentially, and wellness culture that I completely shifted into that. And that took over my life. But the reason that I bring it up is not even about that. It's about because it was such a niche, I felt like I could do whatever I wanted. Those people, those individuals were into what I was sharing. I was preaching to the choir. So it allowed me to feel so safe that whatever I wrote, whatever I put out, I would put out my weird mushy kale salad. And I would put like, I just was tossing it out there because A, by this time I was limited on time. I had a very good creative constraint, which was a full-time job. And B, everyone I met in my real life wasn't into wellness. And that's what's so beautiful about subcultures is that People feel like they find their people and therefore they can be themselves. And so while a little bit of this was problematic in the sense of, you know, wellness culture is 
especially now, you know, has been hijacked by the diet industry and capitalism yeah. and it's a completely different thing than it was in 2012. But at that yeah. time, you know, I come from people who own fast food restaurants and I didn't have an avocado until I was like in my early twenties, you know? So I didn't, yeah. this was such a five steps away from where I was in a way that allowed me to really what I think both of us lacked in high school and would have really maybe benefited from of finding a group as we spoke about earlier. Yeah. I was able to do with wellness culture, which is a real beauty from it. This feels like yeah. therapy that I'm really talking something out. But anyway, the the reason I say that is because I think me having that experience has lingered a little bit in the sense that I, I, put things out. And I, yeah. I, I, for years it lingered with the podcast, even when it wasn't about wellness anymore, I still did it as if it were for just yeah. the set amount of people. But then it shifted when I became more social and, and I became, I, I got out of that culture and I wasn't just in that culture. And I started to make friends and meet people and move to different cities and date people. And then I was like, Oh, what are they going to think of that? And I, I would think of, and I still do this now. I think of probably like four or five people who might listen to an episode when I'm recording, you know, and I have them in my brain and it always changes to whoever I've like put on a pedestal or like, you know, and, and usually these people will never, ever listen, but sometimes they do. And I think that it's made me a little bit less, fuck it, let's go put it out. Who cares? It's made me care more, which I think is good. And it's made me have different, you know, they say right for one person, or it's made me have different people, varied people in my brain who I'm speaking to and talking to. And I think that has both been good, but it's also been challenging to to try. You know, it, you feel very safe to try and put things out and share when you are in a subculture than when you're putting things out where there's going to be people who love it and there's going to be people who deeply despise it. That takes a lot of energy. And that yeah. is really challenging. And, and yet the people who do that make work that they're not really thinking of anybody. You know, there's that great Bowie quote where he was like, when I was most selfish about the work, that's when it was best. When he was second guessing an audience, that's when it, it wasn't for anybody. And so it's a, I think ideally creatively, it's like make work that feels good for you to make, put it out so you can get feedback and iterate and grow and connect yeah. with people. And then it gets into the Ira Glass gap a little bit where it's like, okay, that might've felt good to make, but you don't have the time and the resources and the ability to make it at the level of your taste. And so that feels really right. uncomfortable. Right. That's and then, something I struggle yeah. with a lot, that part. I don't know. I don't know the answer. And I, and I think your point about being mysterious is interesting as well, because I've really wanted to be mysterious and had to just accept like, I'm not going to be. That's not how I am. And I think leaning into whatever you are and sharing that, the older we get, the more we accept that. But that also is part of it and challenging. Yeah. I mean, I don't think necessarily I'm mysterious. I think people who do social media 
in a way that's like appealing to me. That's like, oh, I could maybe understand how they're achieving it. Maybe mysterious is even the wrong word for that, but they're sharing all about their work. And I think this relates more to like artists and and visual stuff, but it's like they're sharing this, but then they're like not sharing anything else, but they're still gaining a community and sort of a safe space by like sharing their work. And I, I feel like that is really cool. And kind of like what I mentioned before is I feel like there's always a part of yourself that is pretty authentic and intimate that you're sharing when you share your work. So it's like a different way to be vulnerable for sure. But also when you were talking about how you felt very safe sharing earlier, you know, early on in the early days, I think the internet was definitely like a different world for sure. And wellness was totally different. But I also think it like reminded me of like how we talk a lot about how we're both anxious, but have different anxieties. I feel like it's kind of like different views that we may have had growing up or not, or maybe not at all. But I just feel like I've just never been, oh, it is safe for me to like authentically share. And I don't know if that has to do like you were saying with like not having had groups or like communities in the conventional sense, or if it's just something more of like, like being raised with parents who are like overly cautious, my mom was like very cautious about things or like, I don't know exactly what I could attribute it to. But I think that also like impacts how you feel about sharing work. And then also Yeah, I think this tendency to like overanalyze your own work as opposed to what you were saying, just feeling good about your work yourself, like, fuck it, I don't care what anyone else thinks. And it's interesting because it's not like I still feel this need to be accepted because I haven't, you know, the last few years or like most of my adult life, I've been this producer and like other person who isn't like sharing her art or creative work, it just feels like more daunting and more easily to be criticized than it will gather more criticism than praise because I've like never shared it while you've you've been lucky enough to like share for for so long when it used to feel safe. So I feel like that's really cool too for for you and then having your growth now. Like anything exposure therapy you know i was gonna say practice but it's with anything exposure therapy yeah Yeah, it's just time like i it still sucks when i do it and as you know better than many i have a lot of fear and i hope that you do it because then it'll just create some momentum and i don't think what i do is even good i hope that it does become good but i see what you're saying because it's a bit jarring for you to suddenly be like oh i was doing this i'm doing this now but really you've kind of been doing it all along and it's just this you know there's a push pull there that i can see as being really challenging and i i have in my own way but mine yeah whatever i do next won't be like 10 steps from what I'm doing, it might be like five. Right. Well, I think that, yeah, because you, you have, you know, you'll consult creatively and you, you are a writer and you have the podcast. So I feel like all those things can like lead nicely to like whatever your next steps will be as opposed to sort of like switching to like what I like to call the other side of the call sheet Mm -hmm. of like, 
the producer side versus like the creative side under which also falls the director and the actor if you want to come act <laughs> but yeah I, talent, I would actually so yeah <laughs> I'm too so. old to play the roles in our um in the thing where no, the short film we're writing it. I think you should do it or you should at least have like a cameo well I hope people are getting a good picture of what it's like to be in conversation between the two of us and I I seem to really enjoy it why don't I toss out a few things, if we will, going back to sharing. Great. General thoughts on the artist's way in general, beyond just shadow artists and journaling. I like the artist's way. I, however, I'm not 100% sure if I've ever finished it all the way through, which I think is super beneficial to do. I think journaling is great. I think sometimes for me personally, I get a little bit sad because I read things from five six years ago, where it's like, I want to make films, I want to make this video art. And I'm like, wow, I've been wanting to do this forever. So not to try to tie it back to shadow career. But that's sometimes it makes me a little sad journaling or journaling now and then having to go back and be like, oops, but, but I do think it is very helpful to let it out through journaling. <laughs> well, I mean, that's exactly to the point I make in the book, which is like, do it just for you, not for exactly. anyone to read it. And exactly. this is the part that relates to what you said, not for even your future self to read because oh, yeah, that can make you feel it. bad about yourself. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's what she says about morning pages, at least. Right. What about morning routines, evening routines? What are your thoughts on anything you do you had one during the pandemic that I, I want to talk about for sure. Well, go ahead. T- tell everyone. I don't remember all of it, but I think it was like coffee, um, maybe meditation, maybe not. And then like I this was like in the early stages of the pandemic. I don't do this anymore. But I think we have talked about like um, how it is so soothing and like to watch an episode of something and I would watch like old stuff like Magnum PI or murder. She wrote because I felt like that was something, I mean, I feel like we've all had low grade depression since like the pandemic, but I felt like it was obviously more intense in the beginning. And I think like that felt very soothing to be like, I'm watching something in the morning and especially something so old where it seems like times, I don't know if they were better, but it just seemed better. And the aesthetic is really fascinating to me i like that vibe you also told me about our mornings seem to be a time where we well i guess it's not your morning necessarily but usually i wake up from mess two messages from you or i start sending you a bunch of messages and you know sometimes that talk that's all day but we will you know i i mentioned it earlier sometimes we're like well this is my morning pages for the day because i usually talk to you on my way to go get a coffee and Anyway, but you also did this thing that you would call your mat routine. <laughs> and I do I that too. Routine. You don't remember well, this? I think I like, oh, yeah, yeah. I think I do. Wow. I feel like, you know, 2020 was not that long ago, but it's... I mean, I still do it now, but it's like a mix of like physical therapy and yeah. like an ab workout. And it's like yeah. it's silly what we do, but I, I, I like the that. way you said that. I did do that. And I feel like I still try to do it. I still have my mat, but I feel like... I, I mean, I love... I love morning and evening routines. I don't always stick to them, but I try to have a few things. I really feel my best and happiest creative when I am doing um, 
a good part of it. And also, especially adding in the, the meditations, especially adding in, which I really don't do anymore, but I did do this for a good portion of 2020 is doing an afternoon or like evening meditation is actually really helpful. Um, and it doesn't have to be long. Um, yeah, I really agree. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's especially for our temperament of like, we talk a lot between you and me and Bob decompressing. I think it, I think it maybe came from Bob because Bob and I are more similar where you like being social. <laughs> yeah. But we need, we also need to decompress. And that's a word that like my mom would always say. And I was like, Mah. and then he said it and he, and it became a convert piece of conversation where I was like, yeah, Oh, I need to decompress. That's not working. That's not answering texts. That's not scrolling on Instagram. It's not, not being present, but it's also not present. It's focusing on something that you can just, it's watching TV, it's reading, yes. it's listening to a podcast, it's staring at the wall. It's yeah, that is. And decompression is important at the end of the day because we are compressing ourselves all day. And sometimes oh, often yeah, for yeah. me, it's like going on a walk and talk. It's like putting a footnote at the end of the day. And I think a meditation before that in contrast to that even, or after that is like the ideal end of the day for me. For sure. Yeah. I feel like my decompression is always feels like a recovery as well, you know, cause you've been, and I think like meditation definitely helps. I feel like it's a good segue into your evening for sure. Um, my friend Sarah taught, I think I told you about it. It was like a cool little yeah. creative course, which also involved meditation. And that's like where I first I've dabbled on and off in meditation for a long time. But that's when I first was like, oh, wow, there's so many benefits to like doing this again <laughs> at night. Yeah. The other thing that I've loved about your routine was watching something like that. And yeah. I want to talk about movies and how you watch them in general, yeah. because I know this spring you were watching, was it old horror films? And I think we watch things very differently. Old yeah. Old horror movies and old, um, like almost sci-fi stuff. I wish I have, I pulled up some of the names of things I like that are more like current horror stuff and like creepy stuff and things that are by female directors, actually, in case we wanted to talk about that. But Please. I just really like give it to us. The, like 80s and 90s aesthetic I, I feel like I watch it more for like the visual than to be like this is great acting or this is a great storyline and just really that's why I like like those era things from like the 80s and 90s a lot what is it that you like about the visuals that I think I may have talked to you about before but relates to my aesthetic of like oh this is like ugly or like not that great or I don't have enough money you know I'm not gonna get a crew in here just to make my little thing um is like that aesthetic of like 90s like trying to make something like high tech or like trying to make an alien you know and it's like I'm sure it was advanced for the day but now we look at that and it's just lower budget pulled together even if it had a high budget at the time and it's because it's like more low quality lo-fi type of visuals and set design and all of that stuff and then the costumes are really cool because obviously that's like you know 
trends that are coming back in that are like dressing like a coastal grandma or things like that. I think that's why I like it so much because it's almost like it's an expander for you. It's like it's exposure therapy to be like, oh, I can make something because when you watch something with the technology, you're like, well, that's 10 steps away by myself with like my phone. I don't even need to rent. That's cool. Yeah. So I really like that for sure. But I interrupted you. You were going to say something else about recommendations or where were you going with that? Oh, no. I mean, I was just going to say more about like more like modern current day movies and how it's like really that's like when I get into more like thriller type things. And I feel like that's a decompression for my anxiety for like the world and how scary the world is. It speaks to like real fears, like how you and I have spoken about Promising Young Woman that is female directed. And you still get to like watch it through the lens of like a visually interesting movie. So it feels like you're displacing your anxiety. So it always feels a little better to watch that. Cause I think it's like hitting, it's probably like hitting the same emotional centers as you like your anxieties do or like an intrusive or scary thought would, but you're like watching it through the lens of a movie. So it feels a little bit more manageable and creative, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that movie yeah. really rattled me because it's so well well made and and really really a yeah. little bit true, which is sc- the scary part. Yeah, which is the real bummer yeah. part. We have mentioned that we're both only children, and it's something that you know we kind of it's a trope in this friendship. But what do you think about birth order and how that impacts us? And you're also very versed in astrology, which I think is perhaps maybe related to this question, or I'm going to try in an attempt of time to relate the two, because I think we've talked about creativity and astrology. You have so much wisdom around that topic. And you even did my mom's chart when she was in New York. Yeah. Yeah, that was you, you know mine very well. You're very intuitive with it. So yeah, start with either of those, the birth order, only child thing and astrology and creativity, however you want to take that. Yeah, I will say, I think only children, like all my close, like, most of my closest friends end up being only children. I don't even know that before I like enter into a friendship, but I think it's just like, we tend to find each other. We've probably all had similar experiences like at school or within friendships or like giving more to friendships than maybe getting back. But just because of like people have their siblings, you know, and like, I have other siblings, but I didn't like grow up with them. I am the only child of like, and I I think for you the same, like of my parents together. Yeah. And Um, and same. And also same on the most of my friends. Yeah. As you know. Yeah. It's so fascinating. Close friends. And, And and then how you and I have talked to then, then I think there's a difference between like my friends who still have their parents together versus like us whose parents are not together. I do see that differentiation in only children. And I think it's all really subtle. And I also think it's hard to make a sweeping generalization about anything, including birth order, though. I mean, I think, yeah, it's sometimes true. Like I have seen the youngest children be the ones who are like, have it more easy, you know, but then I've also seen like youngest children who are so responsible. The middle children are always, I feel like the most fun and the most like only children. And then, but again, I feel like it's so, it can be like a little dangerous to like live by only that, which like also leads me to astrology, which is like, I love it. I really grew up as a Latina. Like I grew up 
that's like a part of the culture. Like when you're before it was trendy, I read so many books, like, and I think it's so interesting and fun to look at, but it's like, it can be a little bit tricky when you're like saying this is the way the world's going to go because Jupiter isn't Aries or whatever, or, or the United States is having these issues because its birth chart is blah, 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 like cancer, sun, whatever. So it's just tricky, but I think it's really fun. So I feel like if you can, you know, do your birth chart and understand some of those tools and things you relate to and use it for the better and not like worry so much about the, the things that seem scarier or not look at the things as like super harmful to yourself or things like that, then it can be like a really fun outlet for sure. Because I kind of hate my birth chart, to be honest. And I'm like, I feel like that's why I don't feel successful because I have a lot of mutable energy and I have fire and water, which is like really weird together. And then my moon is super cerebral because it's in an air sign. So it's like kind of like a mess. And then I do have earth. So luckily I have a little bit of everything, but I have the most um mutable and the most in water and fire so it it's interesting so i can't get too tied down in it but what i can do is like look at it and be like hey so this means with mutable i can like adapt easily to situations and also like it is very natural to me to to be creative and kind of not always have um a set routine or things like that. And then having my fire means I can be very, very expressive. I can be very loud, but also passionate. And then with my water, always like being intuitive and understanding the complexities of like a situation intuitively. I don't know. It's, it's like super interesting, you know, and then I can look at other people's charts and be like, oh, blah, blah, blah. But like, again, I'm not going to be like, oh, I'm not friends with you because you're a Gemini, you know? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like I would never I, do that. I think that's silly. I think saying, you know, I'm a victim of the planets or I'm the, use it if it feels good, great, you know, and take out what doesn't. And my perspective on religion is that, you know, it comes from a good place. It comes yeah, from I people agree, wanting with that. connection and comfort. And so there's, of course, then it, it comes like anything, capitalism or society, whatever. Power, even power. power exactly. Takes over. Right. Makes it makes Or even churches toxic. as an institution, like versus belief. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I agree with you. Right. So, so with that, you know, I think ast- astrology with everything, it's like, take what you want, leave the rest, make it work for you and not be a hindrance to how you're feeling. And, and that's, that's that. But with that, you know, I always like to ask people about God, spirituality, what you think happens when you die. What are your thoughts on that? In terms of like God, I think it's like within all of us in the sense of like your higher self. I, I do believe in that. Yeah, like I, I grew up going to a Catholic church, but I definitely believe in something. I don't know if I believe in the, always those those places where it can sometimes get overly intense and lose its mission of like, connecting people and it just gets really intense and a little bit into the negative things of that realm. I believe in something most of the time. <laughs> Depends yeah, on the day. Me um, too. I feel like it's hard to know. And I think the times I've felt most calm about not knowing is actually relates back to when I have been able to really devote myself 
to having that meditation in my life, which I've had like on and off forever, you know, bouts of like really being dedicated to it. And I remember actually, this was like probably more in my mid twenties, like I wasn't a Buddhist, but my friend and I would go to these teachings at the temple where they would just talk and then everyone would meditate collectively. And I feel like during that time period, I just felt really like at peace with everything. And obviously the world was a little bit better back then too. But I think when I have that going for me, I just feel really at peace. And since I feel like we can't know what that is, I think it's just good to feel that peace and connection in that form or whatever works for you. You know, I feel like I'm very much of like live, live and let live with, with those feelings and thoughts for, for everyone. Yeah. I agree. Same page. Well, speaking of connection, you just got married and I obviously love your partner. And as you know, I think I talked at least hours and hours worth on our channel and live that I was so sad that I couldn't make it and wasn't there in person. And I st- you sent me a video of your vows, which I have not been able to watch and I've not told you why. And it's because I need to really be ready to do that. I need to carve out yeah. the time to cry and I know I'm going to fully be weeping. And so maybe you Mine answer this. Good. Well, maybe you answer <laughs> this within that. And I think I will tune into that later today. However, in the meantime, can you give me your greatest lesson on relationships, on romantic relationships? Yes. I'm really lucky because I feel like in my partnership, I feel like we've really like always grown. And like, even though that's not always fun, I feel like that's really cool. Sometimes there's parts within that that's not fun to grow, uh, growing pains. It is hard to boil it down, but I would say communication, which it never feels romantic uh, and it never felt romantic to me growing up, but it really is because I feel like that's the number one problem solver to really anything. If it's like naturally a fairly healthy relationship, I think communication is like really what it comes down to, as well as just really understanding how the other person is and appreciating them for who they are. And that you don't always necessarily need to like fully agree with someone, but you can still support them. And obviously, I don't mean like the big stuff. I feel like obviously should be on the same page, but just like little things. Yeah. And then also having a great mix of having a friendship as a base and then also having a good mix of like, really wanting to do a lot of stuff together while having, as you know, as an introvert, I love like, have being able to like, do my own thing and things like that too. And like really balancing that in a, in a way that works for everyone. So I've pulled a couple of your friends and to be honest, including Bob, who you are married to and yeah. Bob has not gotten back to me yet, but you'll come back to, to answer his question soon uh, eventually. But I do have one from one of your friends that I, that I will give you in a second, but first, you know, related to that lesson, we talk a lot about friendship here. What's your greatest lesson on friendship? It's so important. It's more important than than people realize. I think it's like the importance of of close friendship and that also it's okay to not have like one group as long as you have those close lifelong friendships. Um, I think it's just important to devote your efforts and time to them. Um even when it's hard, like I feel like for me, I can't always be social or I'm not going to like run around all of Manhattan because it's just like hard for me to be like, I'm just going to go, you know, to 
to everyone's parties, but it's like I try to support how I can to check in on my friends, how I can to like show love how I can, like loving their posts or which is so silly, but just like, you know, really supporting your friends is, is very vital in the way that you can. And hopefully they understand that, that when you don't have all the spoons and you can only show up in, in a certain manner, but that you're doing what you can. And, and then I feel like giving that grace back to them is, is very important. It's just your friends are, are very essential to you. That's not to say your close friends won't change or, or things won't happen, but it's like, I feel like we all need to remember how important our friends are, especially as we get older. Oh, that was actually so good. And I, I'm really feeling that today where like I have one friend where I'm like, God, I haven't talked to them in a while and it's going to be like a whole big thing when I do. And I really love them and I miss them, but I just, I don't have the capacity today. And I didn't yeah. have the capacity yesterday and I thought I would today, but turns out I've been talking to my, my friend that I love for the last <laughs> since morning, you know, which is incredible. But now I have to do my, you know, it's like, it's just trusting that they'll know that you're thinking of them and when you have the capacity, it'll be okay. And if it's not, you know, you'll talk it out. And that anyway, our friend, your friend, Vanessa, Yay. submitted a question to us. She is your neighbor, my former neighbor. And her question is, what is her secret to getting dressed every day? How does she approach her outfits? Oh my God. That's excellent beautiful. question, Vanessa. Uh, yeah. And that's so sweet of her because... I feel like you and I both know how she has like an incredible eye. Her house is just like beautiful. Okay. I would say it's very interesting because it's definitely getting dressed is something like when I was a bit younger, I felt like it would help me in time periods where I felt like really depressed or was going through breakups or things like that. It's like, okay, I'm going to get dressed. And that was such like a beautiful part of my day. Um, and it made me so happy. And I feel like actually since 2020, it's been a lot harder to do that on the daily. Um, so it has been nice when I, I feel up to being social, you know, to really get dressed for the occasion. The way I think about it is a little bit how I want to feel. And then I also just want things to go together without being too matchy matchy. And I feel like I would usually start with like, do I want to wear pants? Or do I want to wear more of a romper versus dress situation? And then I feel like I start from there. So it's kind of like bottom up, which is also like dependent on the weather, and then keeping it like neutral as possible, in the sense of like it all going together, obviously, I'll still wear some color or something like that. But I really want to, I feel the best in like, neutral outfits. And I feel like it's taken me a long time to realize that. And I obviously still have flower dresses, which I love to wear when it's like warm out. But yeah, I think if your pants are more of like that, I really like this balloon jeans I have right now that my friend is always joking because I feel like I wear them all the time, but they're just so good and they're in black. So it goes with everything. But I feel like if I'm wearing that, then like, obviously, you might want your top to be like more of a fitted tank top or things like that. So I think it's just kind of like a little puzzle piece while keeping in mind the weather and at least in New York, and how you want not not even how you feel, but how you want to feel. Yeah, I think it's like a portal service to take me to feeling how I want to feel. Ooh, that's so good. Yeah, I had a similar conversation with 
Zoe a couple, like maybe a year and a half ago. Yeah. And she was saying, think about, you know, the, the people's style that I admire. And, and one of them was our friend Savannah. And she was like, Savannah dresses for her activities, right? Like she's needs Savannah's priorities when dressing are, she needs to be able to potentially surf at any second right. and like babysit a kid and go on a hike. And I forget the other thing, like paint, you know, like she needs to right. be able to like roller skate. Like those are the activities she's doing most frequently. And she was like, so what are yours? Like you need to be able to walk all around the neighborhood on the phone right. and sit comfortably and be in hot weather, probably. And you don't have laundry, you know, so like take into consideration your conditions, your creative constraints, if you will. And then go from there because you just look silly if you're trying to if i was a dressing like savannah where it's like okay dude you like don't surf and like why are you so dirty you know or if i was trying to dress like my friend serena who i do spiraling with where like she dresses up much more and, and lives in new york and and that would be silly for me because i don't do the same activity or you know anyway right so, so, oh, okay, here we got, we actually, so turns out Chris has not returned our call. No, I think However, like, he did get back to me. He he said he was busy um, yeah, and he would he try to get me one later. So he yeah. will give us one yeah. and you'll do that next time. But we did get one from Kimmy. So Aww. let's answer Kimmy's question. My question for her would be, when and where do you feel the most comfortable and the most like yourself? Love you Aww. and hope the interview goes well. I love her. I would say, I would say at home with bob or by myself like i don't or like some friend or like with my close friends like with people i feel close to i feel like i actually feel most like myself when i'm creating like this project i did where i got to really i did do the production but i also got to direct and like be in charge of those things and be in charge of the set that way and and the talent in in that more creative realm that felt really like myself for sure I'm like a little bit of a hermit. Like I do feel really content at home and really comfortable. And I think a lot of it is just also, you know, in the last few years, just like how the world feels really intense. It obviously feels intense online, but it feels more intense when you like even step out into it, even though I love to walk too. And that was like, that's probably one of the other places where I feel comfortable or at least like myself or at least inspired is like, when I am walking, you know, and like listening to things kind of similar to you, but that feels really soothing to me as well. Yeah, I, I was content. That was a great answer and a great question. And I was kind of contemplating my answer as well. And like you said, I definitely, yeah. I feel mo it, because there's two aspects of it. It's like, sure, you can take it literally with like physical location. Yeah. And exactly. I have been in my apartment and felt very much not like myself and just off. And I've been in this apartment yeah. and felt really tuned in and connected and yeah. fully myself. It just depends on how I'm feeling internally and same on my True. walks. I've gone down the same street feeling, you know, so, so it's much more internal, I guess, although there it are places is, yeah. where I tend to feel more comfortable, but overall it's like you said, it's when I've, I feel best, which is also, I guess, feeling like myself when I've moved forward a creative project or I've done something productive that I'm proud of, that I've tried and 
moved the needle forward in something, whether it's, it could be like sending a message to a friend that I really wanted to send or making my returns or getting my emails done. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't necessarily even have to be like a creative thing, but anything that tunes me into in my body, if I'm really present, it goes back to the beginning, like any sort of, yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And it's kind of like wherever you go, there you are. Yeah. If I'm just feeling off or like, uncomfortable I might feel that way no matter where I am Um, yeah and it is about being present because I feel like when I feel uncomfortable it usually is cringing about my past self or cringing about my future self (laughs) so it's like how do you not do that is like hey you're like present for me like my first answer was obviously home also with like my dog because I'll be like present I want to be present with my dog I totally agree with you that that is such a big part of feeling comfortable and like yourself is being present, which is increasingly hard to do in today's world. But it is so vital that we find ways to stay present. Dogs and other human beings are great for being present because when you are with another person, it's harder to disassociate, right? And when that's the beauty of having roommates, right? Of like, or people around, same with a dog, like it, it forces you to, to be, I mean, yes, you can disassociate with people around, but I feel like I, I do. I feel like they have to be people I'm close to, or else I tend to disassociate. Okay, well, that that was maybe but a bad yeah, example. That's just but for me, that's just for me. But I think being in a conversation with someone when you're getting into a good volley, or you're with a dog yes. that's playful and in their body, yes. it's it's easier to be present and connected than when I have been alone and caught in my own head and mental loops. It can be challenging. Very true. Yeah. All right. Well, let's end taking the deep breath. But first, I want to ask you, is there anything else that you'd like to share? Is there anything else you wish I would have asked that you didn't get to talk about that you want to leave people with? This has nothing to do with anything, but I guess it's something to share is I just I think that people honestly communicating like in real life, I just feel like back to the friendship thing, having those honest conversations with your friends is something super important to do and to just try to stay true to yourself even when it feels hard. Okay, so in true form, I w- that was not a bit about my computer dying. It did in fact die and the file saved, but we didn't get to end properly. So I have my friend on speakerphone with me. Hello. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Thank you. Live. Thank you for being here. I love you so much. I hope you had fun. And I'm so sorry that this is so long. I'm not very good at podcasting, which is why these have to be so goddamn long. But eventually, if you record enough minutes, there's always some good stuff in there. That's my method to my madness. I like it. All right. You feel like you let it out? Is there anything you wished I would have asked? Anything that you wanted to add or you feel okay? I feel good. I feel like, yeah, no, I, I feel like we're good. And you'll come back many, many times, I hope. All right. Well, let's let out a deep breath. Inhale. Let it out. Ah. Love you. If you want to learn more about creative underdogs slash in process, I keep doing that. It's called in process, I think. Or what do you think? What should I call it? Caro made this video that explains the positive feedback loop that we work through. So I believe the creative process starts with creating space. 
and then gathering inspiration and experiences, taking things in and then trying things, right? Like throwing things at the wall, seeing what sticks, trying to write, trying to spend time alone, right? And really parse through everything that you've taken in and then sharing. And sharing is actually important as a step because it allows you to get feedback and iterate and move forward. And then we do it all again and we do it with support and kindness and gentleness. And anyway, so if you want to learn more about that, the link's in the show notes. I'm grateful that you're here and that I get to do this. Truly, you you have no idea. It really is wonderful to be here. <laughs> All right. Love you. And if you need anything, you know where to find me. My email, Katie at Let It Out with three T's. And look at Carolina's website. Follow everything that she does because she's really special and someone I'm so grateful to know and be connected to. And I would love for you to connect with her too. Maybe you want to work with her on a project. She is available and would love to hear from you as well. Couldn't be further from my first conversation with you. I talk to you every single day. Anyway, so I think I put more pressure on it because I care so much about painting a picture of this person I I love and am so close to. And as you know, friendship means so much to me that I'm more nervous. And and I I had my very close friend from college, who you know, because we all lived in the same neighborhood and in Greenpoint and Brooklyn together before I left Katie. And I don't know if you even knew this, but in like 2016, she Mm -hmm. did the podcast. And it was really cool because I was able to ask questions that I probably wouldn't have asked over drinks or out to dinner because there was a microphone between us. I was able to say things and it made for a really special conversation. Oh, I was going to say too, if people have been around here for a while, not only have I talked about you and mentioned you several times, but you also were a guest in In Process, Creative Underdogs, still unclear what I'm calling it. I think you were maybe the first guest I ever had in that. And you were so generous in what you shared. We both tried to find our notes for that, but it was impossible, which I think is honestly for the best. Anyway, for everyone who's been in that or is in that, it's in the archive and people can go back and listen to that. Anyway, just thank you so much for being here. I think we should start with how we met, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I actually 
um, had listened to your podcast and had emailed you randomly because it was at the very tippy toe of tippy toe. Would you call it that at the very start of me sort of trying to be like, I don't want to work as a producer under this umbrella of like these large beauty companies and media companies. And I really want to build these relationships directly to myself and sort of be able to then have more of a creative hand in the production as well. And obviously, I feel like it's still been a long journey. And I've taken, you know, I've gone back to those big jobs in between that. And there's been a lot that, you you know, anyway, but so I wrote to you and then I, then we met and then I, we did do uh, two photo shoots, but also in the process of that, we just kind of kept hanging out. Yes. I forgot that that's even how we originally met your email. It's so funny about that part, but I was going to say, I remember our first like yeah. physical encounter <laughs> was meeting you for breakfast on a very cold, it was like the goofiest oh my gosh. day for that me. That was crazy. And I it was, was just so... <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking about this last night because we were going back and forth with like scheduling and rescheduling this and I was feeling chaotic and I was like, oh God, from the second Carolina met me, I was in, I was in a weird spot because this was like days before my boyfriend broke up with me and my grandfather died and it was very, very cold. And I was just like waiting to figure out when I was going to go back to Michigan to have those things happen. And I knew they were both coming. And yeah, I met up with a new friend. <laughs> like, the- I feel like you were like looking up flights. Yes, I was. I was because I left you and I went to Katie. Yeah. Who I just went to, I went to, went to her apartment and like booked. So I guess maybe both, maybe he had just died and I must have known then. And I, that's right. I think you were helping me book flights. But yeah, in I the midst of that, where it was, but I, I was, that you were. yes, I was also starting a magazine. <laughs> And that never happened. Turns out, uh, didn't have the budget yes. for that yep. or a producer. <laughs> but that's what our pro- that's what the photo shoots were for. We were making it was it was actually somehow who knows this like really shows how together you are and creative you are somehow through that on that really wild day. We a a I felt very close to you immediately because we ordered two things and shared, which is my favorite thing to do at any sort of dining out situation. (laughs) And that instantly made me feel close to you. And I think maybe because I came in with such chaotic energy, it was just like, all right, well, this is what this is. And we became friends. And then, and then, yeah, I obviously had to go to Michigan for a while. And then soon, right when I came back, we did this first photo shoot and Katie came and, and your friend Chris was was there and did it and took the photos. And it was super fun and weird. And I, I was very late and crying, I think. <laughs> and then we did another one that summer. And then we became neighbors. I moved to Greenpoint. And then I moved away. And what's been really special is that we've kept in touch. You know, I remember sending you several voice texts back and forth all over the world as I was traveling. And that's how we started voice texting because it was hard to keep in touch with time zones while I was so far away. And then we just kept doing it through the pandemic. And we have this kind of running joke that it's our 
sometimes we'll say in the mornings, like, or I'll, I'll often say, and, and you have to like, Oh, this got a little morning pagey, yeah. <laughs> but every morning I leave and I text you pretty much. And we check in yeah. and it's these, you know, sometimes it's about work or sometimes it's about our moms or sometimes it's about a movie or, you know, last week, I think I gave you like a book report on I Love Dick for about 20 minutes and Chris Krause and like my relationship to that text, you know, and like we just, it's become this really special friendship and relationship. And I am incredibly grateful for you.